back in Mark chapter two, we left off at verse 18. Title of my message this morning is A Collision with Religion. What we're gonna see this morning, interesting, is we're gonna see that Jesus is gonna have some altercations, some conflicts with religious people this morning. And we're gonna see this morning there's a difference between religion and true Christianity. True Christianity is based on just the great commandment which is Matthew 22, 34 to 40. Jesus asked, what's the greatest thing? What's, what are we supposed to be all about as God's people? And Jesus answered, here's what you're supposed to be all about. Not rituals, not legalism, not all this restriction. It's about one thing, Jesus said. Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, with everything you got. This is the first and foremost commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two laws, Jesus says, depends all the law and the prophets. There's a reason why we got that on that wall over there. That's, that's, our, that's what we're supposed to be all about as true Christians. Just loving God and loving people. And what we're gonna see this morning is Jesus is gonna collide with some people that got their religion and ritual and legalism and everything else mixed up with what they're supposed to be doing as God's people. And Jesus is gonna go after them, and we're gonna learn some things this morning that are gonna help us be more emulating Jesus than emulating just religion. When I was a young Christian, this was back in the day when they actually had record albums. We don't even have, I mean, we don't even have CDs anymore, it seems like. Everything's just digital. I mean, and some of you, <laughs> some of you young people here this morning, you don't even know what a record album is. It's called vinyl, and a hardcover, and I remember one of my first Christian vinyl record albums was a guy by the name of Scott Wesley Brown. I remember the title. It's his picture on the front of the album, and it says, I'm not religion. I'm not, I'm not religious. I just love the Lord. That's true Christianity. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship with Jesus. Will you love Jesus because he loved you first? We love him because he first loved us. Now, Jesus has already had some altercations with the religious people. Remember last week, uh, chapter, uh, back in chapter two, we saw that Jesus healed the paralytic man. And after healing the paralytic man, before that actually, he said, your sins are forgiven. And then the religious people said, this man's blasphemy because only God could forgive sins. And they, they had it right, that only God could forgive sins. But guess who Jesus is? We saw that last week, he's God. They had that wrong. He wasn't blaspheming. He was doing what he did as God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word, Jesus Christ, was and is. He's God. He's God. And so what we're going to see this morning is this. He already had started some altercations. Remember last week also, Jesus went and ate with sinners. Matthew, the tax collector. And they were saying, who is this man? He's supposed to be a rabbi. He's supposed to be a teacher. And he's eating with sinners. And then Jesus with those religious people said, hey, a physician doesn't come to help the healthy, he comes to help the sick. And he said, I didn't come to call the righteous, I came to call what? Sinners. And the implication there is he can't help anybody until they realize they're a sinner in need of a savior. That's the first step into the kingdom. And, and, and also, we're, we're told from Romans 3.10, we looked at last week, no one's righteous, no, not one. 
And so the problem with people that think they're righteous is they got the wrong thinking going on. And that the Bible, we learned that in 1 John. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And if we say that we have no sin, we're making God a liar. Because what does God say about us? Romans 3.23. All men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous. No, not one. So already a couple altercations with religious people. Now we're going to see three scenes. Bam, bam, bam. Where there's a collision with religion. I love Mark. Fits my personality. It's fast and furious. And it is. I mean, there's, there's 41 times in this book, it says immediately, 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 and it's these snapshots of different scenes with Jesus. And so we're going to see three snapshots today of three different scenes where Jesus is having a collision with religion. You ready, church? You ready, church? All right. Go back to the Gospel of Mark. And we're in Mark chapter 2. We left off in verse 18. And let's read what's going on here with this collision with religion. Mark chapter 2, verse 18. Jesus speaking here with these religious people. And it says this, 2.18. And John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And they came to Jesus. And they said, these religious people said to Jesus, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast and your disciples don't fast? And Jesus said to them, While the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom do not fast, do they? So as long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom's taken away from them, and then they'll fast in that day. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear results. Now look at this analogy. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, and the skin as well. But one puts new wine in fresh wineskins. I, I want you to see this here. The Pharisees' disciples were fasting. John even, Jesus' cousins' disciples, they're fasting. But now, Jesus' disciples, they're not fasting. Now, understand this. Fasting is a good thing. We see, we see it all throughout the scriptures as a spiritual discipline. That's a good thing. Why is it a good thing? Because it gets you to deny your flesh and focus on the eternal spiritual. It gets you to, in some ways, when you're really fasting, you're denying your flesh and you're spending that time instead of eating and praying instead of that eating, you can really get in tune with God through fasting. I think fasting is a very good thing. Also, fasting can help us break strongholds. It can Remember the story of Jesus going up to the Mount of Transfiguration? And he went up to the Mount of Transfiguration. He came down. His disciples were trying to release this demon from a boy that was possessed with a demon. And they couldn't do it. And then finally, Jesus comes down from the mountain. And immediately, Jesus delivers this boy from the stronghold, this demon that was in him. And his disciples said, whoa, why, why couldn't we deliver him this way? And Jesus said, this kind only comes out by prayer and what? Fasting. And so fasting has this ability not only to deny your flesh, not only to help you get in tune with God somewhat, but fasting also can break strongholds sometimes that we're dealing with spiritually. Fasting is a good thing. We're told that the early disciples, after Jesus ascended to heaven, they fasted. I'll give you a couple examples. Acts 13, 2 to 3. While they were serving the Lord, Acts 13, 2. And it says, and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set Barnabas and Saul apart from me for the work to which I've called them. And then, verse 3 of Acts 13 says, then when they had fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them 
and sent them away. Acts 14, 23 also says, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with what? With fasting. They entrusted them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Also, we know from the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus taught about fasting. He said this, implication here too. Now, whenever you fast, implication, we're supposed to fast. Do not make a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they distort their faces so they'll be noticed by people when they're fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have the reward in full. But as for you, talking to disciples, when you fast, implication is we're supposed to fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be, will be noticed by people, but by your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So fasting's good. Fasting, again, helps us deny the flesh, get in tune with God, and break strongholds at times in our lives. Heidi and I, we've been uh, fasting more lately, uh, primarily to try to get healthy and get toxins out of us, lose some weight. But I've noticed as we're doing a, what's called a bone broth fast on Mondays and Thursdays, we don't eat all day. We just sip on bone broth. And we've lost weight doing that. We've gotten healthier doing that. But I've noticed, too, as we don't eat during the daytime, I try to spend some of that time when I would be eating, praying. I've noticed there's just a sharp, sharpness in my spiritual life that wasn't there before fasting. And it's good. Fasting's good. So what's Jesus' point in this whole collision with religion? Well, his point is this. When the bridegroom's present for a wedding feast, that ain't the time to fast. Can you imagine? Your kids are getting married, and it's the wedding. And in the middle of the wedding, you say, oh, reception, just bring me water. You say, what's the matter with you? You're supposed to celebrate with your kids. And Jesus is saying, I'm present right now, and it's time not to fast, but to feast. It's time not to be in this fasting mode because the bridegroom, Jesus being the bridegroom, and the church being the bride of Christ, he says, I'm present and also he's saying, when the bridegroom is with you, don't fast. You know what the implication there is? He's saying, you want to fast when I'm gone to be in tune with me and be closer to me. But hello, I'm here right now. You don't have to fast to get in my presence. I'm right here. My name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. He says, the bridegroom's here right now. This is the time to celebrate. This is the time to feast and celebrate the fact that bridegroom's here with the bride, you, the church. Here's the first principle I want you to see. Very important. True Christianity, one of the marks of true Christianity versus religion is it's a, it's a Christianity of celebration and joy. That's what we're supposed to be about as Christians. Jesus said, I've spoken these various words to you that my joy may be in you and your joy might be full. Second fruit of the Spirit working in our lives after love is what? It's joy. We're told, rejoice in the Lord when everything's going good. Uh, no, that's a misquote. What is it? Rejoice in the Lord what? Always. Again, I say rejoice. Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And true Christianity, it should be marked by celebratory, joyful spirit. And a religious spirit, just the opposite. A lot of religious people is, oh, I can't be, I can't be smiling. That's not religious. Give me a break. I think Jesus smiled a lot. I think Jesus was a man of joy because he says, I speak the very word of God here that my joy may be in and your joy may be in full. And, we, and the true Christianity is marked by a spirit of celebration and joy. 
I love our church. Because every time we get together, nine o'clock service, 11 o'clock service, Wednesday night service, I just sense in this sanctuary, there's a celebratory, joyful spirit, and that's good. That's true Christianity. Jesus loves that. I spent uh, five days last week with my two best men for my wedding. Tell you what, we had a blast. And these two guys went to seminary with me. They rescued me from Greek, and I actually helped me pass our Greek class because we all did Greek together. There's a reason why they say this is all Greek to me. It's tough. And I got together with these guys. We haven't hung out in 30 years. We've been so busy having kids and doing ministry. And but, but these two guys, talk about ex- opposites. They're both great guys, but Ron Stubbs is my one best man for my wedding. He's from Des Moines, Iowa. I call him Richie Cunningham because he looks like Richie Cunningham, a big, tall, lanky guy, and just the nicest guy in the world, but he's quiet. He's a marriage and family counselor, and he just asks questions and listens. And Dave Orlowski, the other best man at my wedding, total polar opposite. He's from L.A. Yeah, I know, L.A., right? And he's, he is, he's eccentric, and he's loud, and he, he just won't stop talking sometimes. But anyways, great guy, great, great, great guy. Eccentric, though. His dad was an inventor in Phoenix, and he's just eccentric like his dad. And so I get together with these two polar opposites for five days, and we had an absolute blast because they both love Jesus and have a passionate love for Jesus Christ, but they're a whole lot of fun, too. And we, we had talk about reminiscing about 30-some years ago of being in seminary together. And we told stories. We laughed. We played golf. We jumped in the lake. We had a blast together. I'm going, I, want, I know why these guys were my best friends back in California. Because they know how to have fun. And they're celebratory. And they're joyful. And that's the spirit of Christ versus the spirit of religion. Amen, church? Let's keep that spirit of joy. That's the spirit of true Christianity. Joy! Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That's not a suggestion, by the way. In the Greek, that's an imperative, which means it's a command. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Celebratory is the spirit of Christ versus the spirit of religion. And also interesting in here, too, we see also true Christianity is marked by the freedom of the spirit and the new wineskin of grace. What do I mean by that? Jesus' illustration there. He said, listen, guys, you religious people, not only are we to be celebratory with the bridegroom and have joy in our lives, but also, he said, the analogy is this. You can't put new wine in old wineskins. What does that mean? Old wineskins were wineskins that were stretched. They had no elasticity. They were, they were, they were worn out. They were rigid. You put new wine in there, that wine would start fermenting, and guess what would happen? They'd burst. They couldn't handle the new wine. And so what Jesus is saying here is, there's new wine right now. And the new wine is the new covenant of grace. And he's saying, in this new covenant, have a new wineskin. Here's the second principle, religion versus true Christianity. The second principle is religion's rigid, it's legalistic, it won't accept new things. Christianity, it's a new wineskin, and it's marked by grace. Grace, the new covenant of grace should mark our Christianity. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And Christians, let's be people that are living in the new wineskin of grace. 
ungracious, unmerciful, rigid, condemning, judgmental people should not mark Christians. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And also, we should be marked by the flexibility of the Spirit. What does that mean? It means we don't distort what God's Word says, but when God is doing new and fresh things, we embrace it rather than reject it. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there's freedom. Now, we stay biblical, but when God's moving in fresh and new ways, let's let him move, amen? Let's, and, uh, my pastor, Pastor Chuck, he had a euphemism. It's not a, from the Bible, but it was from his experience in ministry. And he said, blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. And he did all kinds of new things that got him in trouble with some religious people sometimes. We talked about it last week. He, he, uh, he, he's opened up the church doors to hippies. That was a new move of the spirit. And the church, institutional church, didn't want anything to do with that, but Calvary Chapel did, right? Also, he, he allowed for casual dress and contemporary music, drums. And they said, they were, he, they said the Calvary Chapel's bringing in a demonic beat to the worship. So no, he, they're just bringing in good music, that's all. And then, he, then, then they ran out of room back in the beginning days of Calvary Chapel because so many hippies and so many young people were coming as this fresh new wind of the spirit was blowing. And so they didn't have room in their sanctuary. So you know what they did? They put up a big tent to house all the people. Hello, tent, right here. We're, we're in good company. But, but flexibility is necessary sometimes as the spirit moves to try new things. As long as it's biblical, let's be flexible. That's true Christianity, amen? Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. So that's story number one. Let's look at story number two, verse 23. And it says, and it came about that when he was passing through the grain fields uh, on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along while they were picking heads of grain, and the Pharisees were saying to him, see here, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and became hungry, he and his companions, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he gave it to those who were with him. And he was saying to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Consequently, the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Now, to understand the scenario here, the context, there was a rabbinical tradition at the time. It was called Talmud. In the Talmud, it was the oral tradition of the rabbis and the spiritual Jewish leaders. And in the Talmud, that's not the word of God. It was tradition. They had 39 ways that you, you, you should honor the Sabbath. And if you did these things, if you didn't follow these ways to honor the Sabbath, you were breaking the Sabbath. And one of the ways that you could break the Sabbath was by shucking grain, where you're in a field or something and you're shucking the grain and then you're eating the wheat, whatever it is. And, and what, 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 that was breaking, according to the Talmud, that was breaking the Sabbath because it was work to get that, that wheat. So what are Jesus' disciples doing? They're out in the field, getting hungry. Oh, they grab some stuff and they start shucking it. They start eating it. And then these religious people said, you're breaking the Sabbath. What are you doing? What did Jesus say? Go back to our verses. In response to that attack, he said, hey, the purpose of the Sabbath was the Sabbath was made for man, 
not man for the Sabbath. Consequently, look what he says here now. He says again, he says, the son of man is what? Lord of the Sabbath. You know what he's saying there? Hey, I am the one that created the Sabbath, my father in creation. And the reason why I created the Sabbath was not to put a burden on man, but to bless man. The the Sabbath was made for man to bless man, to give him physical and spiritual refreshment one day of the week so that one day of the week, man would take a break, get off the treadmill of work and rest and worship and make it holy unto me. But it wasn't to be another burden placed on man. It was to be a blessing for man. And I don't know about you, but I think that principle is still real good for me. Taking a day, at least one day a week, where you just rest. Taking a day that you make it just holy unto the Lord and you worship. I love Sunday afternoons. I go home and I, I, the remote control is mine on Sunday afternoons. And I find the golf channel. And it is a natural sedative. I, I, I mean, my eyes are shut. I'm looking at golf through the back of my eyelids. And I get, Heidi says I snore really good on Sunday afternoons. Rest. But it's a blessing. And so Jesus is getting back to what's the purpose of God's commandments? Are they to burden us? No. 1 John 5, verse 3 says, God's commandments are not burdensome. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For, for, For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And that's the next thing you need to understand. See, in the religious world, the religious people, religious spirit, all these rules are a burden. They're just to put burden on you. In Christianity, all the commandments of God are to bless us. They bless us. As long as you have a heart that says, I love God and I just want to obey his commandments, I love him and I trust him. I trust that everything he's telling me in his word is going to bless my life. And then we trust in the Lord with all our heart. We lean not on our own understanding. In all our ways we acknowledge him. Then he directs our path and he makes our path straight and they're there to bless us. So that third principle is true Christianity is marked by God's commandments being a blessing and not a burden. Remember when I first came to Christ, I was lost. A 17-year-old lost. I was not lost. I was lost, lost. I mean, I was a mess. Immoral, mouth like a sailor. I was doing wrong stuff, drunkenness. Oh, man, I was a mess. And God rescued me. Out of the pit. Saved me. And my whole trajectory in life changed then I started reading the Bible. I started with the book of John. I started learning the word of God. And then as I started learning the word of God, I started realizing this is how I'm supposed to live now. And not only did it give me meaning and purpose, but it gave me direction. And I remember I started doing my best to start living what I was learning. You know, it said, let no unwholesome word perceive your mouth. And oh, that means I can't be as talk like a sailor anymore. Changed my verb, verbiage. It took a few Christians pulling me aside and said, yeah, you ain't supposed to talk like that anymore. But I, I saw God's words verified that, so it's okay. Stop. I saw that I'm supposed to stop being immoral with my girlfriend, and so stop. I saw that I was supposed to start you know, living a life that lived by God's commandments, and I started trying my best to do that. Again, to this day, I still struggle, and there's a battle going on, flesh and spirit, and we all have that. 
but the direction changed in my life where I started learning God's word and then trying to live God's word. You know what happened? My life started getting blessed. Taste and see that the Lord is good and blessed is the man who puts his trust in him. And I saw just experientially through that relationship with Christ that God's word is there to bless me. And as I lived it out, my life got more and more blessed. And that's, the, that's true Christianity. You see God's word is to be a lamp under your feet, a light under your path, and as you allow it to do that for you, hey, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things start getting added on to you, and you get blessed. God's word is there to bless, not to be a burden. Amen? And that goes on now. Next story. And he entered into the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. The word withered there, interesting, is dead. It means something that doesn't function at all. The hand was dead. That's a serious thing in that culture. Agrarian culture, it was a farming culture. And the main business they had was being out in the fields, working and developing crops and livestock. If you had a dead hand, you couldn't do your work. Paralyzed. And so he has this withered hand. Verse 2, and they were watching Jesus to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Now, part of the Talmud, the 39 things you can't do on the Sabbath, one of the 39 things was you can't heal on the Sabbath because that's work. So they're watching Jesus to see what they do with this guy that was paralyzed in his hand. He couldn't work anymore. They were watching him to see if he'd heal on the Sabbath in order that they might accuse him. He said to the man with the withered hand, rise, come forward. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good? Or do harm. This is Jesus asking, to save a life or to kill? But these religious people, they kept silent. And after looking around at them, notice Jesus' attitude towards the religious people. With anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out. And the man's hand was what? Amazing. But you see something here. The word restored means healthy again. The word restored means something that was broken is healed. The word restored means be brought back to life. And how did it happen? By Jesus just touching him. Can anybody else besides me relate to that? When Jesus touched my life 40 some years ago, and saved me, he took this broken person and restored me. Made me whole, saved me. And I've seen that over and over and over again here at Calvary Chapel. I've seen a whole lot of broken people getting touched by Jesus and restored. It's wonderful. And I've seen marriages that were dead and they allowed Jesus into the marriage and Jesus touched their marriage and it was withered, it was dead brought life again, changed a whole marriage and a whole family, because that's what Jesus does when he touches. I've seen some of you have kids that were dead spiritually, lost. I just prayed for somebody after the first service has got a kid that's got a withered spiritual life and is dead and prodigal, but you prayed for him. Some of you have prayed for your kids, and now they're back, and they're restored, because that's what Jesus does. Amen? 
I love Jesus. <laughs> I don't know about you. I love Jesus, and I love the way he touches us, and he heals us, and he restores us, and he brings us back to life, and he does it just by touching our lives. Amazing. Amazing grace. Then it says, after he touched the man's hand, he was restored. In verse 6, and it says, and the Pharisees went out and immediately began to counsel with the Rhodians against him as to how they might destroy him. Can you imagine? This guy is touched, he's healed, he can work again, he's got a life again, and these religious people want to kill Jesus for helping the man. It's crazy. It's crazy. But I want you to see this last point, really important. True Christianity is marked by love taking precedence over man's traditions. Now, not precedent over God's word. If God's word says something, we are all in. But the Talmud wasn't God's word. This was man's tradition. You can't heal on the Sabbath. You can't shuck grain on the Sabbath. That's man's tradition. Don't allow tradition in a church, tradition in your culture. Don't allow tradition to take precedent over love. Because what's our greatest commandment? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, Jesus said, you also must love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. And Jesus made it very clear through his word, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, he made it very clear. You could have all the faith in the world, you could have all the knowledge in the world, you could have all the sacrifice in the world, but if you don't have love, Jesus said in 1 Corinthians 13 through his word, you are nothing. And if you have all this stuff, religious stuff going on, but you don't have love, you're an empty, empty, I, I I get like this thinking about it. You're just a bunch of noise. You're a noisy gong is what he says in 1 Corinthians 13. I don't want to be a noisy gong, by the way. I don't want to give people by my religiosity a headache. I want to be a blessing like Jesus was. And I tell you what, when we start getting into this rituals and legalism and rules and bam, bam, bam with people that's not in the word of God, it's just based on tradition, you're going to give people a headache instead of a blessing. I have some people sometimes that come here that have kind of a religious, legalistic background, and they see, you know, some of the liberty we have of just praising the Lord on Sundays, and they see a little movement a little bit with some of our worship and stuff, and they probably see me just kind of raising my hands and going like this with the worship a little bit, and then they'll ask the dreaded question. Pastor John, you know, somebody from a real legalist background would say, can, can Calvary Chapel people, can they dance? And my answer, you know what my answer is? Some can. Some can't. <laughs> and I'm in, the, I'm in the camp over here that can't. I can't even clap right. I try to clap with the song sometimes, and it's like, Heidi looks at me and says, just stop, will you? But I tell you what, when our four kids got married, and there was dancing at my kids' weddings, I can't dance, but I danced. And I danced with my daughter when she got married. And I'll remember the song. She picked it. You've got a friend. And dad, you'll always be my friend. 
I'm going, I ain't going to miss that dance. I don't care what religious person tells me I can't dance. And they're right, I can't dance, but I'm going to dance. And I'm going to give some glory to God during worship and not be afraid to have some movement. And hey, David danced before the Lord, and a religious wife gave him a hard time about that too. So let's not be into this whole thing of laying trips on people with tradition rather than loving people. Amen? Let's be about love. Let's be about celebration. Let's be about people that emulate Jesus and not religion. Let's be about, let's be, let's be about being people that we learned this morning. So let's apply these things. Let's, let's, let's have lives that are marked by celebration and joy. You know? I love the fact that I hear all this noise in here when I come in here before the service even starts or up on the patio and people are laughing and fellowshipping and, and hanging out instead of coming to church. We've got to be quiet. We can't have any fun here. This has got to be a real solemn place. No, that's religion. Spirit of Christ is a spirit of celebration and joy. Amen? Second thing, let's, let's, let's have freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, there's freedom, man. Blessed are the flexible. When the wind of the spirit is blowing, let it blow and let, let's, let's try new things. Let's be innovative. Let's, let's be led by the Lord. As long as it's biblical, let's be led by the Lord and see what God's gonna do, man. Let's, and let's have the fresh wineskin also of grace. Let's be people that aren't marked by all this, like, but in legalism and everything. Let's be people that are gracious because our God is gracious. Let's be people too that, hey, listen, let's be people that understand that everything in this book isn't to burden us. It's to bless us. Why are we studying this book so much? Because we want to learn what it says so we can live what it says. We can live under the blessing of obedience to these commandments that will bring blessing in our lives. And the last thing, very important, probably the most important, let's be people of love. The greatest thing we can do as followers of Christ is to love. Love God and love people. That's what we're all about. Amen, church? That's true Christianity. And, and I'll close with a quote this morning. It's by one of the greatest Bible teachers in our generation. And I love this guy because one of the first books I read by this guy, the name of the book was Laugh Again. <laughs> and this guy has a spirit of joy and celebration. That just marks his ministry. And I remember looking at the book in the Christian books. Hey, I like that title. And then it says, an exposition on the book of Philippians, laugh again. And then I turned the book over like this, and there's a picture on the back of the book. And this guy who's in his probably mid to late 60s, he's got a leather jacket on, and his wife's on the back of his Harley, and they're running down the road together, and he's laughing his head off, and it's Chuck Swindoll. And he made this quote. We'll close with this this morning. Something is wrong with us. Talking about Christians, something is wrong with us when those who don't know Christ are avoiding us as Christians because of our judgmental, condemning, and legalistic spirit. Ouch. Let's not be that. Amen? Amen?
Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, God. Help us to be Christians that aren't just following ritual or legalism or rules. Help us to be Christians that are following Christ. Help us to be Christians, God, that are living out what we're learning. Help us to be Christians that, along with Jesus, have a spirit of celebration and joy. Help us to be Christians that are living out that freedom of the spirit and the wineskin of grace. Help us to be Christians, Lord, that have lives that realize that God's blessing is an obedience, Lord. And as we follow your commandments, they're not gonna burden us, they're gonna bless us, Lord. And Lord, lastly, help us to be Christians, most importantly, that have lives marked by your love, God. You have shown us, oh God, what is good and what the Lord requires of us, and that's to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with you, our God. God, thank you so much for the example of Jesus. I just love studying the life and the teaching of Jesus because I can't think of anybody else that I'd rather learn from but Jesus. Thank you, God, that our Christianity is just based on that relationship with Jesus. And thank you for the way that you've restored us, Lord. You've taken broken people like us and you've touched us. And you've restored our lives. You're in the process of healing us, Lord, as the great physician, not just physically, but inwardly, Lord. Thank you for the way you're restoring our marriages by your touch upon our homes and our marriages. I pray for anybody right here that has a broken marriage, God. I pray, Jesus, you'd be the third cord. Two are better than one, and a cord of three strands is not easily broken. I pray for healing in those marriages that need healing, God. Touch them restore those marriages. I pray for people that might have kids that need restoration. God, we pray by your spirit and by the love of their parents and the truth that's in their parents' lives, these kids would catch it and get back to living for Jesus. Lord, help us to just emulate love for you and love for people to the next generation, Lord. And may parents that have kids that are astray just give them faith an assurance of things hoped for, a convictions of things not even seen yet right now, and bring restoration there with those kids. Thank you for another great time of just being in your presence this morning, Lord. In your presence is fullness of joy, and we thank you for that, Lord. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. amen.